I invite you to open your Bibles to Acts 22, and we'll be reading verses 1 through 7. The setting is in Jerusalem. Paul had been come off his missionary journey to get back to Jerusalem because the Passover was approaching. While he was there, he was attacked by his countrymen to do him bodily harm even to the point of death. The Roman soldiers intervened and arrested him for his, his own safety. And as they were leading him away, he asked that he may speak to his brethren. We begin in verse 1. It says, Brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense. When they heard him speak to them in America, they became very quiet. Then Paul said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city. I studied under Gamaliel and thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as, God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of the way to their death, arresting both men and women, throwing them into prison, as the high priest and all the council to can themselves to test. I even obtained letters from them from from them to their associates into Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. About noon as I came near to Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me and I fell to the ground and heard a voice say unto me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? If we wanted to have a compelling discussion this morning that would be sure to generate some debate and even some disagreement, we could have a compelling discussion about superheroes, about which superhero might be the best and, and what things about that superhero makes him or her the best. You may have been in the theater recently to see Batman versus Superman, and even the title of the movie brings up the idea that there's, there are differences and you're going to compare the two. And, and I haven't seen it yet. Don't spoil it for me. I'm told that Wonder Woman, as a superhero, makes an appearance in that movie. Uh, thinking about superheroes, if we were going to discuss, somebody would be sure to very quickly say, well, Batman, he's really not a superhero because he has no superpowers. He's all about gadgets and this and that and the other. And, and so he's really not even a superhero. Some people hold Spider-Man in very high regard. I've always been fascinated by the superheroes, though, where there is a transformation, some kind of a uh, supernatural. I think of the Incredible Hulk. Uh, Dr. Bruce Banner, he's this mild-mannered guy by day and, and he's unassuming until things get stressful, until uh, something becomes kind of bad and as he gets more agitated, finally he, he morphs into the Incredible Hulk and that's kind of fascinating. For those of you who are older and who maybe grew up on some cartoons, you may remember a guy called Popeye. And he's not a superhero, but he was kind of a hero because he always took care of his girl. And, and you remember there was a transformation that went on even with a guy like Popeye. He ate what? He ate his spinach. What a dastardly plan by the cartoon makers to get the kids interested in eating spinach out of a can. I mean, come on. But it worked. Many of us also, though, like real life. 
transformation stories, don't we? Uh, the story maybe of a uh, the rags to riches story, we like that one. A, a guy that, that he goes out and he takes a risk and then he works hard and, and, and he does well and he gets paid. We love stories like that. Some of us like the story of the athlete. The one who'd been told that he was too slow or too short or didn't have the talent to compete at a high level, but he goes out and he works hard and he does it to prove the naysayers wrong. We love stories like that. And then even um, sometimes you'll hear the story of the convicted felon who turns his life around and actually goes to work with law enforcement to help catch bad guys. Sometimes that happens. Well, chapter 29 of the story, one of the longest chapters we've had through the entire uh, process so far, it's about Paul. And it's about what he did, and it's about some of the things that he wrote. It's, there, there is a lot of material in there. He is the depiction of a life of service as a missionary, as a preacher, a life as an author. But his story had its beginning in a real-life transformation. And that was actually a part of last week's reading, but I'm going back this morning. We're going to think about that a little bit because he is transformed from a bad that most of us have no way of identifying with. Most of us didn't grow up persecuting the church. That wasn't our past. And then he goes from a level of good, a level of service, a level of devotion where we look at the, you know, I try to make it through the day without messing up too many times. And then I read about a guy like this and I think, wow, I could, I could never live at the level he did once he was on the right side of things. And I'm going to talk about Paul all morning and not Saul to Paul. I'm just going to use Paul as often as I can and, and maybe try to cut down on the confusion there. But see, his conversion story is important because if you were able to read chapter 29 this week, nothing that occurs in chapter 29 of the story would be possible had it not been for this life-changing event for Paul. And it's significant because one of the things you notice then in his ministry, in his journeys, in his writings, is he goes back over and over and over and he tells his story. The reading in Acts 22 that we had already, that is him retelling some of his story. It's first recorded in Acts chapter 9. He retells some of it in Acts chapter 26. 1 Corinthians 15, as he's writing, he alludes to his story. And so it's significant. And that leads us to one of the things that I want us to remember this morning. When you think about the Bible, when you think about God's Word, when you think about the story that we've been going through, the purpose of God's Word is not simply to inform. Now there is information there and we need the information, but the purpose of the story isn't to inform. The purpose of God's Word is always to transform, to change people, to make people better, to make people more of what God wants them to be. And so Jesus changes Paul's life. And Jesus still changes lives for people today. And when He does, the person whose life has been transformed, the person whose life has been changed, that person then has a story that needs to be retold. And so the first thing we want to do this morning is think a little bit about this life-changing encounter that we see in Paul's life. Acts 22, the, the telling of the story that was just read, where he is he's, he's standing before the Jews talking about something that's gone on in his life. 
one of the things that you notice about him is that he was very devoted, he thought, to God. Paul was the all-in guy. If you're over a ministry in the church and you're looking for people to be involved in your ministry, he's one of the guys you want involved in your ministry because once you get him on board, he is all-in. There will be no one more committed than this guy. And even in the telling of the story, you notice in Acts 22 as he talks about where he had been, he said, I was zealous for God. In other words, I, I, I thought I was doing God a big favor. He was zealous for God, but he had ignored the evidence about Jesus. Misguided zeal. Zeal without knowledge can actually end up being disregard. That's the reason that, that those of us as we're Christians, we never get out of the Word of God. We are lifelong devotees, lifelong students to the Word of God because we realize there's always something that God needs us to know. And again, he thinks he's doing right. As he talks to Agrippa in Acts chapter 26 verse 9, he says, So then I thought to myself that I had to do many things hostile to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. I thought that's what I was supposed to do. I thought I was doing the right thing. And again, it brings us, and you've probably heard me say this before, but one of the things that we've always got to remember, truth is never defined by what I believe. Truth is always defined by God. And so Jesus stops Paul in his tracks. On this road to Damascus, Jesus needs his attention. Jesus has other work for Paul to do. And so the bright light, he's blinded, he's on his knees. And so Paul chooses to ask what I would call a reality check question. Notice chapter 22 of Acts. Notice verses 8 and 9. Jesus has just asked the question, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, verse 8, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I'm Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus the Nazarene, whom you're persecuting. And those who were with me saw the light, to be sure, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. See, Paul's reality is, is changing. His world is literally being turned upside down. He's on the ground. He's blind. He thinks he's been persecuting an it. This movement of Christ followers, this false theology, this parasite that has sort of attached itself to Judaism, he thinks he's been persecuting an it. And what he doesn't understand is that he's actually been persecuting a me. And so Jesus asked, why are you persecuting me? He's in the midst of realizing that the core beliefs that have driven all of his actions have been incorrect. And so he asked the question, who are you, Lord? And, and my question for us would be, okay, how often do we take time to ask that question today? Because again, it's doubtful, and even in a room of this size, it's doubtful that any of us have the idea or the past backstory of having been persecutors of the church. The idea that I'm going to get up today and I'm going to think about how to persecute Christians and that's what I'm going to do for my... that's how I'm going to fill my day. That's not most of us. Probably not any of us. But some of us come from a background maybe of having at one point had no regard for God. But even for those of us who've been in the church all of our lives, 
I wonder sometimes if it's possible that we've had so much Jesus for so long that, that we lose sight of what an encounter with Jesus should always do. Now, we don't encounter Jesus the way Paul did, but every time we're in the Bible, anytime we're in Scripture, we're encountering Him anytime we're studying God's story. And because of that, we should always be asking, okay, as I read this, what does God want me to know about Him? As I'm reading this, as I'm studying this, what does this reveal about Jesus that I need to know? Because He is my Savior. In other words, the question we ought to be asking every time we're in Scripture is, who are you, Lord? But then Paul's not done because there's also a second question he's going to ask. He's going to ask what I would call a life-changing question. Notice verse 10 of Acts chapter 22. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Get up and go into Damascus, and there you will be told of all that has been appointed for you to do. As we said, Jesus has stopped Paul cold in his tracks, turned his paradigm for living completely upside down, on the ground and blind. He is asking the the logical question. He's asking the question that he ought to be asking. What I thought was right is obviously wrong. And so if what I thought was right is wrong, then I need somebody to tell me what's right. I need somebody to tell me what to do. And so in that moment, he's asking the right question. The life-changing question is, what shall I do, Lord? Again, do we ask that question each time we encounter Jesus? And I know I'm guilty. I'll be in Scripture, but I'm not always asking that question though I ought to. But let's be honest. Sometimes we encounter Jesus with a mindset of maybe trying to justify what we want to do or what we're already doing. Or we want to encounter Jesus in Scripture and, and have Him smile on whatever level of commitment that we've decided that we're going to offer to Him. And so those kinds of things are a lot different than simply humbly asking, okay, Lord, as I read, as I study, as I encounter You, what do You want me to do? For those of us who are already Christians, when we assemble around the Lord's table each Sunday, we come together for this memorial, this recreation of what happened at the Last Supper, It is a time of encountering Jesus. And you may remember, Paul, who we're studying this morning, he would write about that. He wrote about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Sometimes we read some of that before the Lord's Supper begins. And he talked about self-examination. And he talked about making sure that we don't partake in an unworthy manner. It's a time of remembering who Jesus is. And it's a time of remembering what Jesus did. And it's a time of remembering what Jesus made possible. Who are you? You're my Lord and my Savior. And then the natural reaction should be, well, if you're my Lord and my Savior, and I'm trying to live for you, then what do you want me to do? How can I more fully surrender my life to you? How can I more fully submit to what you want? That time of self-examination around the table, that should always be a Lord, what do you want me to do moment. If you're here this morning and you happen not to be a Christian... Please understand that when you read a conversion story like we see in Acts chapter 22, this life-changing event, there is a message from God for you in this 
We are blessed in our, uh, as, as humans, by God, we are blessed with the freedom of choice. And so, if you're outside of Christ, Jesus desperately wants your attention, but, but Jesus isn't going to treat you the way He treated Paul. He's not going to blind you. He's not physically going to knock you to your knees, but He does want your attention because He loves you. The most powerful, maybe the most power, um, popular verse in all of Scripture is John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that He gave His Son. And so God, He wants to save, He wants this relationship, but the idea is we've got to be willing to surrender our will to His because that's what's really happening when we stop and ask the question, what shall I do, Lord? The first step to relationship with God is humbly asking, what do you want from me? And so then, from Paul, he ends up in Damascus waiting for a guy named Ananias to come and provide him with some more information. And as this happens, the Apostle Paul is going to end up with a conversion story that is worth retelling. Because if you think about it, everything we see from him, from the time he is face down in the dirt and blind, it reflects a complete surrender to the will of God. It reflects what we would call a changed life. And his conversion story, it is one about taking immediate action. Go back into Acts chapter 22 with me, and I want us to read a few more of the verses from there. Notice what transpires beginning in verse 11. But since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. A certain Ananias, a man who was devout by the standard of the law and well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing near to me said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. At that very time I looked up at him and he said, The God of our fathers has appointed you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear an utterance from his mouth for you will be a witness for him to all men of what you have seen and heard. Now why do you delay? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins calling on his name. And Paul does that. If you go back and read the Acts 9 account of his conversion, uh, several things are brought into the account there that aren't mentioned in Paul retelling his story. Acts chapter 9 verse 9 reminds us that Paul is there waiting for three days. He's three days without sight. He is three days not eating. He, he's, he's actually, verse 11 says, he's praying. So you're blind, you're not eating, and for three days you're praying. And I would love to know what the content of some of those prayers had to have been. It had to be repentance, I'm sure. It had to be the prayer of, okay, I asked you on the road, what do you want me to do? Please reveal to me what you want me to do. Please send whoever you're going to send. I don't know exactly what he prayed, but he's three days praying. Acts chapter 9 verse 18 states that Paul receives his sight... And immediately he gets up and is baptized. And then in the following verse, he eats. Now, I don't know how long it's been since you went three days without food. It, you know, that's, we eat breakfast and we're ready for lunch. We're hungry by lunchtime. This guy's been three days without food. As soon as he's told what he needs to do, he gets up, he's baptized, and then he eats. 
Why the urgency? Well, I believe Acts chapter 22, verse 16, at least according to what we understand, it explains the urgency. Now, why do you delay? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins. He still has a sin problem. Being right with God in that moment is more important to him than his next meal. He obeys the word of the Lord and then he eats and that's powerful and that's significant. And if you've ever been challenged in maybe in a discussion with somebody and they're asking, why do you all put such an urgency on baptism? I believe the answer that we need to give is very simple. God's word places an urgency on baptism. And it's because of remission of sins. According to Acts 22, verse 16. His story is one that becomes about going to work in the kingdom immediately. Acts chapter 9, verse 20, the the Acts 9 account, the Bible says, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues. He begins going to the synagogues to preach Jesus rather than going to the synagogues to persecute those who'd been trying to follow Jesus. And it's interesting to me, no one would have blamed him had he wanted some time, uh, some time for people to know that he's converted, know that he's a new person, know that he's different, but he doesn't take time, he just goes to work immediately. And see, his story becomes one about a missionary and mission work that's going to be anything but easy. Because from the moment he preaches for Jesus instead of against him, The reaction from people is predictable. Again from Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 20, and immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. All those hearing him continued to be amazed and were saying, Is this not he who in Jerusalem destroyed those who called on this name and who had come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priests? You may be here today wondering if someone with a past like yours could be changed in such a way so as to be useful to God. Paul's answer to you would be a resounding yes. Now, your past life, it might cause people to criticize. It might cause people to question. In fact, one of the things that's revealed is that Paul's ministry was not going to be in Jerusalem. The audience wouldn't be receptive enough. So God is going to send him far away to the Gentiles. Acts 22 verse 10 says, Get up, go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that has been appointed to you to do. His work is going to take him far. It's going to take him wide. God has an upper story planned for him. And it's work that isn't, again, easy. Acts chapter 9, his account there, You are a chosen instrument of mine, chosen to bear my name before the Gentiles, kings and children of Israel, and I'll show him all he's going to suffer for me. He's going to suffer some for his work. And then in Acts chapter 22, where we've been reading this morning, your work is not going to be in Jerusalem. Paul dreams about this. I, I, I was in Jerusalem and I had to get out. And, and, and God says, yeah, that's right. You're not going to do your work here. But I want you to notice what he said before Agrippa. Notice Acts chapter 26. Notice beginning in verse 16. This is Jesus talking to Paul on that road. And Paul rehearsing what has been said to him. But get up and stand on your feet, 
For this purpose I have appeared to you to appoint you a minister and a witness, not only to the things which you've seen, but also to the things in which I will appear to you, rescuing you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I'm sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who've been sanctified by faith in me." Paul, your role, your job, your purpose is to now help people be right with God. And then in verse 19 of that chapter, Paul says to Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. That seems like a big job. That seems like a heavy tax. That seems like a heavy load. And yet he goes to work. And so in him we see a changed life. And you might just make the case that Paul is a super missionary. Now, for us today, super missionary, that may never characterize your life, that may never characterize your ministry or mine for that matter. But please remember this. In the room today, if we are Christians, for any of us who are Christians, someone needs to hear our story. And the question becomes, will we choose to tell someone about the changed life that Jesus has provided us. You know, yours may be a story of amazing transformation. Maybe, maybe you had one of those lives where I had to hit rock bottom before I ever realized that I had a need to God, for God. And I hit rock bottom and my life was horrible and I did horrible things. But thankfully God was merciful and thankfully God gave me time to find Him. I'm always amazed by some of the transformation stories that we see coming through Heritage because, you know, we do a lot of career transition. A lot of our students are a little bit older. A lot of our students have a lot of life behind them. I think of my friend Rodney Rice. He's arrested at 14 years old and finally his, his parents get him to a better place and he gets his life turned around and so today he's a preacher and he does work with children and, and then he's over passionate about going into prisons and, and teaching those who are incarcerated. Maybe your story though was one where, hey, I never was really wasn't really ever for God. I wasn't really against God. I was just kind of indifferent. I didn't, didn't know much about it. My Sundays looked a lot like my Saturdays. I just did my thing. And, and maybe it was a spouse that won you over. Or maybe it was a friend at work that began to be an influence on you to bring you from a place of indifference into a place of realizing a need for a Savior. See, you've got a story even there that needs to be told because there are a lot of people that just haven't heard the good news. They don't know they've got a problem. They don't know the house is on fire, for lack of a better way of saying it. Or maybe... For a lot of us, we've been in church all of our lives. We cannot remember a day where we weren't in church. Our first memories are coming to church and sitting in a Bible class and learning things about God. But see, even for there, this story becomes, I was in church all my life, but I finally came to realize that even though I was going to church, that didn't make me a Christian. Even though I was going to church, I still needed a Savior because I still do wrong and I still fail and I try to fail forward. But I realized that I needed Jesus even though I'd always been in church. See, that story will resonate. Because we interact with a lot of people every day who feel like they're already pretty good. And in a lot of ways they are. But they still need Jesus. And your story can bless them. Is Jesus trying to get your attention 
today. If you're outside of Christ, are you ready to become a Christian? The invitation was being baptized into Christ for the remission of sins to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Do you want that to be you today? Because Jesus, He's not going to blind you. He's not going to knock you down onto your knees. He's not going to put you face down in the dirt. But He wants your attention. And He wants your devotion. And it may be one of those where... Maybe you've been here a lot and through your study of the Scripture, you're encountering Jesus and you've had encounter after encounter and for whatever reason, you've, you've put that off. Maybe today's the day that you need to say yes to Him. If you realize in any way, whether as a Christian, maybe you've fallen backwards, maybe you've stumbled in some way, if for whatever reason your life has been one where your, your, your life has been disregarding God, if you need to make that right, if you need to start over today, let today be that day. If we can pray for you, we'd love to do that. If you have a need, let it be known while we stand and while we sing. My